Hello listener, welcome to another edition of Switch It in which we bang on about where it's all gone peak tong for English cricket. There is some good news this week. The ECB have finally appointed a new managing director for the men's team, Rob Key, unveiled on Easter Sunday as the game's latest saviour. But that was preceded by Joe Root finally throwing in the towel after a five-year pummeling in which he claimed almost every England captaincy record going, including most utterances of the phrase, it's frustrating, but... To discuss the latest developments, as well as look in on the runners and riders after two rounds of the county championship, I'm joined by the Alpha and Omega of the UK Crick Info desk. Andrew Miller has been there, done that, and lost the t-shirt at the bottom of his kit bag. While Matt Roller was created in a lab by scientists thousands of years in the future, then sent back in time to teach us the mysteries of T20. Good to see you both. Um, it was Miller to the rescue for Gujarat Titans on Sunday, and I believe something similar happened in Hackney, Miller. Indeed, indeed. Uh, <laughs> London Super Kings, for it was they. Uh, Chennai Super Kings were, were, were David Miller's victims. London Super Kings were mine. Glorious one wicket victory in my opening game of the season, which, even more gloriously, I happened to be playing. Uh, I was out in the field for 40 overs from one o'clock through to about half past three, which meant I completely missed the Rob Key announcement, which meant Rob, uh, all you guys had to deal with it. But, you know, apart from anything else, well, I'm sure we'll come on to the nitty-gritty. Well done, Rob Key. I'm glad he's been appointed. But seriously, it's the first good news the ECB have had in a long time. They've got an appointment, finally. 2 p.m. on Easter Sunday, <laughs> when everybody is either... Well, I should have been making a roast, but I decided to play cricket instead. Uh, what's, what's wrong with them? Why would you bury good news on the day of, of literally the resurrection? I mean, Christ <laughs> alone. Uh, anyway, uh, let's move Some on. Some symbolism there. Isn't, well, something that's all. I, mean, I think they got, they got their dates wrong, frankly, but uh, never mind. Um, well, yes, uh, it, it wasn't exactly with all the fanfare that was um, possible, but I suppose that there aren't many people left to organise that stuff at ECB Towers at the moment. Um, Matt, uh, I should give you a full title here. Christopher, Christopher Martin Jenkins, Young Journalist of the Year. Um, CMJYJY, as we, uh, as we say in the office. Uh, do you feel like you've got a target on your back this summer? Yeah, absolutely. It's the, <laughs> the famous difficult second season. Um, already been, been a pretty slow start, so um, you know, hopefully I'll make some improvements and rectify a podium finish for next year or something like that because yeah it's a, it's always tough to live up to that sort of tag it's <laughs> good you know that that, that pressure is uh, just going to keep you driving on to uh, higher standards um okay then well we've got some some stuff to get into um, as miller has alluded to some blame sky and their paywall for the decline of the english game but they have now given us something back um rob key man of kent batter of england commentator of high regard Presumably he's agreed a set number of golf days per month. Um, Miller, this would have seemed a slightly left-field appointment a month ago or so, I'd say, but uh, it, it increasingly became inevitable. I, I still think it's a left-field appointment. I mean, I'm, I, with the greatest will in the world, I, I hope he succeeds. And the one thing he does have on his side uh, is the fact that I think he comes in with a lot of goodwill, a lot of, you know... A lot of um, players like to like to think the media are always out to get them, uh, but actually, broadly speaking, we all want English cricket to do better. And uh, key with his with his obviously um, the sky in his corner, uh, Nasser Hussain and Co. Uh, uh, you know, he's got good soundboards. I mean, ideally, you'd want to get someone like Nasser into the role, but if you can't get Nasser, you might as well get Rob Key. Uh, it's it, it's random, but he will go in there with goodwill. People will want him to do a good job. I think he will get a lot of leeway as a consequence. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm still deeply underwhelmed by the state that English cricket is in. I mean, put it put it this way. Last night I was watching um, Liverpool Man United, 
Um, 4-0, symbolic scoreline given what's happened this winter. And watching United is a bit like watching England at the moment. It, 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 it's just a ghost ship. You know, you can blame the players, you can blame everything that gets appointed, the managers who get picked and sacked and binned off. But ultimately, what you've got is a, a crumbling, crumbling edifice, glory days behind it. They've got to try and instigate some sort of root and branch reform and get rid of the capitalist ghouls that sit on top of the institution <laughs> and leech off, leech off its, its reputation before they start blaming the players. So, you know, good luck, with, good luck to Key, good luck to whoever has to step into Joe Root's boots because um, that's not going to be easy either. But ultimately, any of these people, any single person being appointed in any given role at the moment is not going to change a thing. It has to be ripped down the whole damn thing and start again. And, you know, maybe Key is one small step along that way. But it's a, you know, apart from anything else, he doesn't know who he's reporting to yet. We've got Tom Harrison is going to, going to walk off with his, with his paycheck in the coming coming days and weeks we don't even know who the chairman's going to be yet so the two most important people the chairman and the chief executive are going to be completely different come the start of the english summer probably and so you know key is in a job that doesn't even know who's who he's reporting to yet what if he can't stand the people who's appointed uh, you know it it, it it really got to start from the top and work your way down to resolve english cricket and uh at the moment, they're sort of aiming at the middle ground and seeing if they, you know let's pin a few tails to donkeys and see what happens it's yep. not ideal it would seem a logical place to start um, at the top, but uh, no, we've gone in with the, the middle management. Um, Ralph Rangnick, of course, was at England's last Test match, I think, so maybe there is even more of a parallel there um, on what he will do to the Red Bull side. Uh, now, England have got the key. Have they got the secret to another way? You've read Rob Key's autobiography. Um, what did you glean for the, uh, for the future? Well, it's been quite interesting, actually. I, I first read... Key's autobiography, I think it came out a couple of months into the first COVID lockdown and I read it as a fairly lighthearted um, piece of work in which he tells a few stories about, um, you know, ordering takeaways and dodging fitness tests and tells a few funny anecdotes about his time sharing a dressing room with Andrew Simons. Um, but, but I think two years on, it suddenly looks like a almost a manifesto as to what Key thinks he's going to do with English cricket. Um, there are various bits in there about... Um, what he thinks about coaches, captaincy, general a attitudes towards playing multi-day cricket. I think uh, quite interesting. One, one of the chapter titles in his book is um, A Coach is What You Get to the Ground In, um, which <laughs> probably tells you something about what um, Key, Key thinks about the role. And he basically says that, that he thinks the most important thing is that the, the, cap the coach gets on with the captain and lets them... Um, lead the team in the way that they want to. So it'll be quite interesting to see the order of appointments that's made as well, given the short time frame before the first test. I think that's, what, six and a half, seven weeks away. Um, so it's quite possible that he appoints a, a test match captain first um, and then the head coach follows as a sort of facilitator for them. Um, I think he'll probably go uh, with split coaches by all accounts. I think he'll probably reintroduce a selectorial role. Um, but yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I think I'm, I'm relatively optimistic about the key um, appointment. I think the handful of times I've, I've spoken to him about cricket, he's always offered some kind of um, I interesting insight into... I, th I think people forget just how much cricket he watches and has watched in his role at Sky because he obviously he's now sort of front and centre of their coverage as a, and has been talking a lot about the English game. But he very much started doing some, um, you know, the graveyard through the night shifts on on 
random games doing the voiceover stuff for South African ODIs. And he has watched a hell of a lot of cricket compared to pretty much anyone else in the game. Um, he's been, he's been to every single county ground when he's been, been doing been to the, Pakistan recently. Yeah, when he's been doing the blast, he's been to every county ground. He's covered the hundred as well. He's covered a lot of women's cricket. Obviously, his role is only men's, but he'll have an interesting take on how the two should sort of interact. Um, he's done plenty of stuff overseas. I think that there's a, and also I think there's a certain sort of condescension or snobbishness to some of the the analysis of Key's appointment where people think because he's sort of and he does occasionally play up to this idea that he sort of tells it how it how it is and um, sort of man of the people vibe about him. But I think if if you consider um, for example Andrew Strauss when he was appointed as managing director of cricket he came straight from the commentary mm. box as well. Um, possibly the fact that he captained England makes some kind of difference, but does that imbue him with some kind of um, management ideas that Key lacks because of the fact that he only played 15 tests and captained mm. Kent for the best part of a decade? I, I, I'd be surprised if it did. And then Ashley Giles, who I think most people would say his, you know, his uh, reign as managing director was not hugely successful. He came in with various experience, you know, experiences, head coach in county cricket, director mm. of cricket um, with some kind. Of, I think he had a, some kind of sports management qualification and MBA or something along those lines. So I don't think the history of the role suggests that, um, that there's a there's a particular route or a particular set of qualifications that um, a managing director needs to have. But I think if you were looking at various areas that um you or boxes that you want them to take you want them to have watched a hell of a lot of cricket at various different levels um and be able to offer offer insight into all levels of the game and i think he has never been um afraid to pull any punches i think he you know the, the story that's been told quite a lot recently is how he he got fined at one point as kent captain for calling the ecb's pitch liaison officer a, uh, a muppet show i think it was <laughs> And yeah, I, I basically think that he, he's quite a good guy in terms of setting out a vision, asking questions, being open to advice and feedback. Um, and I think hopefully we'll have quite a clear vision as to, as to what he wants um, and will be able to, will will be given the tools, given he's at the moment one of the most powerful men in mm. English cricket uh, to implement it. I mean, that is one that is one thing that is worth pointing out at this at this juncture is that the one thing that everyone has been throwing at the ECB for the last two, three years at least is there simply has not been enough cricket expertise within the board. I mean, you look around that boardroom, we've talked about it before, the, the, the you know, all the build towards 100 was, you know, obsession with with brands and mobile phone companies and all all these other people who, who came on board to to provide business insight to the ECB. Um, what we've seen since Andrew Strauss came into the role in the interim capacity that Key's obviously taking over in a full-time capacity is basically every time he speaks, everyone around that board says, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah he's, he's a cricket person. He's, he said something cricket sensible. We'll, they'll just sit around nodding. Um, so, you know, if, if Key can come out with something radical, something, something that could be made concrete once the pillars are in place, um, then we might get somewhere. But, um, yeah, we're a long way short of having those pillars in place. Yeah, he is, uh, as Matt says, there are some similarities with sort of the Strauss appointment, um, played for England, bit of co bit of commentary, no great administrative background. Um, and, and the role is a lot more high profile now 
than sort of when Hugh Morris was was the the managing director of the team, you know, kind of doing things in in the background. Um, I and mean, the the the, the coaches is, is what you get to the ground on kind of line is hints at Warnifesto, uh, you know, <laughs> famously Shane Warne's disdain for for coaches, but but had a lot of sense about the game um, as well. Um, and we've touched on some of the the jobs the, the, the to-do list that key already has i mean um uh, head coach assistant coaches as well uh, a test captain fix the entire red bull game um <laughs> he will be on he will sit on the uh, the high performance review i think he was named as a key uh, member of that uh, uh, of that team we don't really know the details there um but yeah, there's plenty. There's plenty on the on the plate for him to get started. I mean, the coaching position is probably the first thing. Yeah, uh, and and I suppose there's a fundamental problem in in the similar way to the fact that it seemed like Key almost got that job by default because of the the sort of lack of candidates, mm, people um, dropping out along the way. Yeah, people people various people got asked to apply. I think I'm not certain, but I think Key was actually approached about the role rather than applying mm. off his own bat. Um, but I think in a similar way to the lack of candidates for that role, I think that there is a fundamental problem with international coaching at the moment, um, which is that it's no longer a particularly desirable role for the best coaches in the world. You, you, you know, I think Ricky Ponting at one point has been asked about this and said, I don't think there's, a, I don't think there's any chance he'd take the England job, not just because he's the epitome of the Noel Australian <laughs> who you know, hates the palms and all that sort of thing. But the problem is, at the moment, he has a lifestyle which involves him doing commentary stints to fit around his family time and commitments at home in Australia, and then can spend two months of the year away earning pretty good money at Delhi Capitals at the IPL. Um, there's probably slightly less scrutiny on him there than there would be if he was leading an international team um, around the world. And he gets to spend the majority of the year doing what he wants to do as a retired ex-cricketer. Um, creating a wine label I think exactly rather than <laughs> rather than um, you know what there would be no chance if he were to coach England in all formats the idea that he would be able to um, come up with that sort of thing on the side it's impossible you'd spend 300 um, days a year away in hotel rooms mm. so I think that there is a fundamental problem there um, which is going to be very difficult for key or, or anyone to address which is that, um, that, that they need to be incredibly well paid to be um, to be coaxed away from the IPL if that's the route that they're going to go down. What I think would be interesting was, I think it's quite likely that they'll split the two roles. I mm. think they'll probably be a test coach and probably be a white ball coach. Um, and then the interesting thing is that I think most people would seem to think that the the identity of the white ball coach can be someone who's a bit more in-house because of the fact that Owen Morgan has run the team effectively mm. for five or six years. Um, but there's almost more chance that you could get one of uh, someone like, for example, Mahela Jar Wardner to come in because he would be able to combine that role with his IPL commitments because England don't play white ball cricket during the IPL and it wouldn't be such mm. a stumbling block. Um, whereas the test side probably needs someone who's a bit more high, high profile. Um, I, I think Key, Key himself has spoken about someone who needs a bit more tactical awareness um, than potentially Chris Silverwood had. Um, someone who's maybe a little bit more hard line and can always guide the new captain. Um, but then finding someone who's willing to do a job that is, you know, there's, there's probably more scrutiny on it. And also um, the time commitment is greater just because of the length of the game as much as anything else. Uh, it, it's going to be quite an interesting mm. dynamic to see what, what ends up happening because there's, there's not a vast number of coaches that are obviously putting their hands up uh, from the county game, for example. And then if you look overseas... Um, the, the world's best coaches, the vast majority, are, are at the IPL and 
um, it would be quite a big ask to get them to, to give that up. Mm. And uh, the name that keeps coming back into the frame is Justin Langer. Uh, <laughs> Key is a fan of Australians, as, as you noted um, from his autobiography. Uh, whether uh, England would be a fan of Justin Langer's uh, management style we, we could be interesting to find out. I mean, Gary Kirsten has been talked of as a Red Bull option, um, Miller. Um, Paul Collingwood has said he'd be keen to do whatever they, they give him, I guess, um, <laughs> after his uh, audition in the Caribbean. But yeah, there aren't, there aren't loads of candidates. There really um, aren't. Although Lang- Langer's fascinating, though, because um, I remember him saying after, uh, I can't remember whether after 2019 or, 20, or the more recent Ashes, but he was basically saying that Ben Stokes is like the first man he'd pick mm. on any given team. He's absolutely in awe of what he can bring to a side. And so if Stokes ends up being the captain with Justin Langer as, as, as the sort of hard-bitten coach behind him and you know driving the team to match the standards that Stokes himself seeks to uphold um, with his fitness and performance, then then you're onto something. But again, as, as Matt says, you know it, it's a big ask. Langer's um, just come off a long and ultimately pretty galling stint as, as, as Australia coach. Does he want to s- switch the floor? Uh, who knows? Um, it's such a such a conundrum. It's such a mess. I, I, I go back to what we've been saying all winter long. There is, I don't think England has been in a bigger mess as this for 30 years. It's, it really is rock bottom time and all, all bets are off, frankly. God knows where we're going to end, end up from here. But uh, it's never dull. So we'll we'll see see what we get. Yeah, and and obviously if they're kind of interlinked, but the the captaincy um, is the, the the other thing. The poison chalice is for, is free. Uh, Joe Root, after um, doing it for longer than perhaps anyone uh, envisioned, he uh, took some time away, spoke to his family, and so on. Had a statement come out on Friday. He leaves with a you know a, a big pile of records of the, the most games as England test captain most wins most defeats most runs most hundreds most 50s most catches not most wickets but uh, you know give, <laughs> given time he might have got there um uh interestingly that's not a particularly high list i think it's um Illingworth or Ailingworth, something like 70 odd wickets as England captain so again tells you about the bit about how they tend to appoint people for that job um but uh yeah, the um, well, how how do we sum up his reign? I suppose Miller. Before we go on to look at candidates, um, a lot of wins, a lot of defeats, uh, mm. a lot of um, missed opportunities, uh, Ashes attempts, failed Ashes attempts, um, a lot of meh, I suppose, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, given it's, it's how weird, good he has been um, at a lot of other things. It is a weird one. I I, I still wonder how much the pandemic will mm. will have impacted on what they could have achieved. You look at look at that team. There was, there was that brief period, 2018, when obviously they they went for their total cricket approach with um, Ed Smith's funky selections and and you know that side that that won won three nil in in Sri Lanka, having beaten India four one. That was that was his zenith as as a team that seemed to be running in the way that England needed to run, a sort of a, a positive approach. Uh, you know, really really, you know, speeding through the fog as our as our, <laughs> as our former colleague George would have put it. Um, they, they they hit the buffers a little bit, obviously relying on Stokes to get them through the ashes and failing to win at home was a, was a was a black mark. And you know, obviously it was, a, it was a it was a great series in its own right, but uh, first time England hadn't won at home since two thousand five in the ashes, so so that that was notable. Uh, and then the pandemic, and obviously you know just prior to the pandemic, there was that winter in in um, South Africa with with Silverwood on board and and you know all these kids coming through. 
uh, Crawley and and Pope and uh, uh, Sibley. It looked like the bare, the beginnings of of, mm. of a team that was really finally being forged in Root's true image. It's like he could be an elder statesman. Him and Stokes running the show, Anderson and Broad. You know those four sort of pillars, and then the young guns sort of learning on the hoof and really you know being being moulded in real time into being Test cricketers. Uh, the pandemic put a put a kibosh on that. And what we got as a consequence of that was was a year of drift, a couple of years of drift, frankly. And you know, I I I don't think Root was ever a particularly good tactical captain, but he always had the team four square behind him. They 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 loved him for his honesty, his his openness, his his genuine, his clear fact. He's a good human being. You know, obviously, you know, people wanted to play for him, which is which you know you 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 can't underestimate the importance of that. Um, but ultimately, tactically, I think he was—he never really evolved, and uh, his team stagnated. And you know, it—it's—it was kind of the same with with Alistair Cook before him. To be perfectly honest, the, the, the England have had this problem ever since they had this um, their obsession with the pathways and the ECB, um, you know, siphoning off their best players and you know, factory farming them into becoming Test cricketers. They don't learn on the hoof. They don't get the opportunity to become rounded county cricketers learning to be captains without people watching their every move um andrew strauss probably didn't get much of an opportunity at middlesex but at least he came in with 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 a a strong county presence mm. behind him and was able to translate that into into a genuine captain you know his captain wasn't the most dynamic either but at least he was clearly the leader in a way that neither cook nor root ever got the chance to be so we're in a situation now it's like who takes over we've got the obvious candidate is stokes i mean I think, by all accounts, it looks like it's it's bound to be him. But as I said on the pod previously, my man for the moment is 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 broad. I think he should have been interim captain in the Caribbean. Much and you know, going back to my original analogy with Man United, it's like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the perfect interim coach for United, just to rein, reinvigorate their 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 ethos or whatever whatever it may be, brand, I their think brand or whatever it is, just <laughs> pile in all, all the know how that he has from being a successful player in a successful team, pile it back in, pick pick out of it what you want, and then say thanks, you've done your bit on your bike. Mm. And obviously with 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 Broad, there's a there's a clear finite, uh, it's a clear end date. Obviously next summer's Ashes would be the obvious moment for both him and Anderson. To bow out, having injected the team with with something in the in the in the in the interim, it's not ideal. But then nothing about this situation is ideal. So therefore, you know, you, why don't you use Broad and Anderson to the utmost, allow, allow Stokes and Root to just be the best players on the side, and then see what you end up with when someone like Crawley, say, has had another couple of years to find his feet as a Test cricketer, and maybe at the age of you know 25, 26, he's ready to take over. That would be my perfect route i don't think we're there now i think we missed the opportunity the you know the those three tests in the caribbean were literally three tests of drift um achieved nothing except to prove that what we already knew that wokes and Anderson, wokes and overton are not the answer in overseas conditions but yep we we knew that in 2017 we didn't need to have it doubly doubled down this year um and beyond that you're you're, you're throwing throwing up all ran all manner of randoms from Billings to Vince to I don't know Alex Lee's. I mean, you know, it, it, there really isn't an option. Um, so, yeah, God knows. <laughs> any any thoughts? I don't have any. <laughs> well, uh, um, 
Broaders uh, has sort of um, put out some thoughts on this. His newspaper column at, at the weekend, he sort of distanced himself from it. Uh, and yeah, it, he's in the awkward position of not actually being in the team, uh, having been dropped for that Caribbean tour. Um, obviously, don't let Anderson know that you're thinking he won't go on beyond 2023 Ashes because uh, he'll doubtless set out to prove that wrong. Um Ben Stokes is the obvious candidate to be to be asked, even though he's previously said he's got no great interest in it. But you know he's clearly the, the front and centre. Um, is there a chance that a, a sort of established county captain, and there are a few that have played for England, uh, Rory Burns probably at the head of the queue, James Vince, Tom Wesley, Sam Billings gets some good press uh, in various parts of the press. Um, is there a chance you think that one of those could come out of the woodwork in the next? Uh, month or so or, or is it really um, you know Stokes is to uh, decline or accept it, uh, um, as and when Key gets around to it yeah, I'm sure Tom Wesley would be delighted at hearing his name chucked into the ring for well, possibly I, the first time um, actually Monty Panesar did it on TV uh, a couple of weeks ago which is why I thought of it not because of uh, you know, die hard um, I, I don't think they can do that to be completely honest I think uh, that I, I like the idea I like the outside of the box thinking but I think realistically uh, the, the pressure would be too big almost immediately uh, if any of those guys didn't come in and immediately score runs um, you know one of the names as well is sort of in a similarly speculative vein to Wesley that's been mentioned is Tom Abel um, who has credentials as a leader but at the start of this season, he's made a string of low scores and that's in Division One of the Championship. What's to say he wouldn't have done exactly the same if he'd been given the poison chalice of the test captaincy uh, and then immediately the, the, there's huge scrutiny over his position in the side and his worth to the side um, within a couple of games. I think any of those batters, there's far too much. Uh, I, think, I think it's asking way too much of someone to... To, to put them into the a side that they've not been a key part of and then expect them to lead it and have everything that goes with it. I think in the in the ideal world in which um, the test captaincy didn't have the whole administrative ambassadorial um, backstory that goes along with it, that, that in, in Root's defence was probably his, his major strength in the role was his sort of staunch defence of test cricket and his um, ability to... Um, sort of handle crisis situations pretty well, I would say. Um, there was always one coming along. <laughs> there, there always was. Um, but if you didn't have that part of the role, you could maybe make it work where you could say, well, it doesn't really matter if this guy's only in for a few tests at a time. We, it, it's just a, it's just an on-field role that means that someone's making the bowling changes and setting a field. But it's not the reality. The reality is that there's this whole extra baggage that goes with it. Um, you have to be sort of held up in lights as the the guy for English Test cricket at a particular period of time, and the idea of giving that role to, for example, Sam Billings or James Vince, when they're by no means guaranteed a spot on the team, then they're not. They've never really been sort of consistent first-class run scorers. They both had. They're both perfectly serviceable players in the middle order, but they're never going to um, consistently churn out runs. Um, I think it's I think it's slightly fanciful to be honest. I think obviously I think Stokes is a huge it, he is a risk. Um, clearly, having taken a, a break from the game last summer, um, due due to sort of perfectly worthy reasons in terms of prioritising his mental health, but um, he, he's missed a lot of England Test matches over the past two or three years for one reason or another. All of them perfectly reasonable. 
Um, he, he, he started this season injured because he, he was overbowled in the Caribbean. Um, I think he bowled the most overs of any England seamer in the Caribbean, having come into that series with a bit of a cloud over his fitness. Um, so there, there are clearly risks and appointing a good vice captain will also be important because of the inevitability that he, he will probably miss some games at various points during his um, his tenure. But I think it's realistically um, the only viable choice because if you were to pick a team now for <coughs> June the 2nd um, and said who's actually guaranteed a spot, I think you would have Root, I think you'd have Stokes and I think you would maybe pencil in Bairstow but other than that, I don't think there are any any guaranteed candidates. And I think, it, as a result, Stokes has to be England's captain for that game. You've arguably got the 50% more certainty there than everyone else. <laughs> just just, just on, the, on that, I, mean, I must, must also mention in, 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 in passing and just talking, appraising Root's captaincy, mm. the point about over-bowling Stokes, a huge black mark against Root and his, his, his handling of fast bowlers, his handling of his key weapons was, was appalling throughout his throughout his reign to be perfectly honest and you know a lot of that probably comes down to the the the, the fact that he's an amiable chap and they couldn't say no to someone's someone as nice as joe root can you bowl me another one joffra can you bowl me another one stokesy i know you've got a side strain i know your knee's falling off but come on mm. give us 99 overs in a dead series i mean mark wood me the scg i mean yeah totally every time he every time england have had a weapon it's been misused under root and that's that is a a serious black mark against him as a pure tactical captain. Um, well, and the he, flip side of that, of course, is that it, it, part, partly because of that, he was then so sceptical about using his spinners. Spin, spin, um, spin, yeah. So whenever he had a genuine fast bowler, he, he overbowled them. And whenever he had a sort of vaguely promising spinner, he would underbowl them and, that would, and, and be tempted to leave them out whenever he possibly could. Um, and that meant that his fast bowlers were often unavailable and his spinners were you know, often incredibly low on confidence because they were out the side so often. Um, so I think I, I think when people remember Joe Root as England captain, I think they will remember the two parts of it, which were the one side of the sort of um, the face of English Test cricket, where he probably did a pretty good job. Um, the fact that he managed to have such an amazing year with the bat in 2021, uh, having it, there was a period in which it looked like the captaincy was affecting his batting, but last year he was um, you know remarkable with the bat. Then the the flip side is that on the field tactically, I think he was pretty poor and the fact that during that Caribbean tour by which point I think he'd captain more tests than anyone else he was still saying stuff like you know it's quite tough sometimes to get the ball out of Ben Stokes's hand you know you're the captain Joe you, you if anyone can do it you can do it well, that um, was uh, uh, Ricky Ponting uh, during the Ashes was his, his response to uh, Root suggesting Broad Anderson and co hadn't pitched it up enough at Adelaide as sort of well, what are you there for? <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> but, I mean, I go back to the overarching point. You, you, can, you can point fingers and blame blames as much as you like the players, but ultimately they aren't the biggest problem here. There is a lot more structural issues that, mm. that's, uh, that overarch it. Yes, and, uh, well, good luck, Rob Key. Um, <laughs> the, I suppose the, the, the potential bonus um, here, other than, well, there's two, uh, getting a better captain. Uh, and uh, uh, Although, uh, kind of, as we've touched on, Root will probably be part of that um, brains trust. Uh, and Stokes was, if Stokes becomes the captain, he was pretty much the vice captain, or officially or unofficially at various points. So you're not getting a lot of um, new input there. There will be a new coach, um, we assume. Uh, but 
uh, Root, the batter, I mean, Root's still a young man, um, relatively speaking, um, approaching 10,000 test runs. He just had his, his sort of anus mirabilis. Um, and he actually, as, as Matt sort of mentioned, the, the decline with the captaincy, um, he still averaged less, uh, 46 as captain to, to 52 without. Um, so, you know, Root freed up to be the, just the best batter in the team, um, and a, and a senior figure. I mean, might even get back in the T20 side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I mean, no. It, but it, that it, can't be a bad thing. It can't uh, be a bad thing. I mean, Mike Atherton was writing about returning to the ranks in the Times this week. Mm. And, um, you know, with the exception of Strauss, I think, who, who, who retired immediately after resigning, mm. every single captain since Gooch has gone straight back in, and even before him, actually, uh, has, has, has returned to have a productive, a very productive time back in the ranks. So uh, Gooch, Stewart, Hussein... Athers, Cook, uh, Cook, Cook, uh, Cook clearly. Um, you know, all of these, all of these guys had still going, of course. Two or three, two or three excellent Good years for the next Test series. Actually, Cook. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Well, I mean, he's doing all right, isn't he? Um, but no, two or three excellent years after having having the weight taken off their shoulders, and there's literally no reason to think that Root will not do likewise. I mean, he is. He is in such sublime touch. I mean, you know, for all that we talk about uh, what drift it was this winter, part of that drift included him getting back to form with two more centuries in, in the Caribbean. I mean, you know, you can, you can point at his Ashes contributions and, and say that that's still still a, a black mark, his, his failure to score 100 in Australia, but he still was better than pretty much every other England batter combined on that tour. So, um, you know... He he is a magnificent batsman. There's his his um, his impending 10k mark is 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 ample evidence of of the fact that he belongs among among the greats. And um, you know I would love to see I'd love to see the the narrative change a little bit. You know it's been doom and gloom for for his personal um, role in the side simply because he's been overseeing a, a, a sinking ship. But um, you know, be nice to yeah, major on the fact he's scoring important runs and maybe runs that even win a series or two, which would be a good start. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been a while since we've uh, we've had that chance uh, to, to to discuss such things. Um, I think you uh, likened him to the or raised the the wreck of the Hesperus over the winter. <laughs> he's, he's tied to the mast no longer. Indeed. Um, uh, what then for uh, green shoots? Uh, around the circuit, then uh, the the, the um, uh, aside from tumult at the ECB, obviously the English summer has begun, or at least sort of spring has sprung in, in some form. Uh, the county championship is is two rounds old. Uh, there are there are uh, names making names of themselves and um, names that we're perhaps discovering for the first time in some cases. Um, only a couple of of likely picks for that. June um, date with New Zealand at Lords, uh, you know that we're confident in. But um, who's who stood out? I mean, we've both been to a couple, a game or two, but got, got out there and enjoyed the sunshine a bit. Um, who, who are we looking at? The runners and riders, um, batting and bowling. Uh, Matt, I'll come to you first. Um, well, the batter who stood out in the first game I went to was Sean Massoud, which isn't hugely, <laughs> hugely helpful for England's test prospects. Well, um, Pakistan may benefit from the, the, the Red Bull reset over here as well, from the number of their players that are doing a 
decent things in the championship but yeah um but yeah and then in the the second round i was at taunton for the first two days of um somerset's game against essex which again threw up a pretty familiar name in craig overton which <laughs> isn't necessarily the one that people would have been thinking the, this guy's you know yeah. gonna be uh, gonna be leading the rebuild but he, he did bowl really well but i, I suppose that the the two and a two and a third days of that game that um that was all it took to to for what 39 wickets to fall and for a result um it kind of emphasized the big problem uh with <laughs> the difference between test cricket to rebuild championship cricket i mean side. yeah overton said after the second day actually he spoke to the media and he said he did feel as though he was bowling slightly better than he had in the west indies but the the, the general idea was that he, he had been bowling on flat pitches and finding it very hard and low on confidence because of the fact they were taking a wicket every th- every you know 15 20 overs something like that um and then he comes back on a green seamer that's doing a bit uh and is unplayable in county cricket so it's a it's it, i don't know i i want to be slightly cautious of of beating county cricket with the stick that pitches are always terrible because i think that it that game was pretty much the exception to the rule um in the first two rounds of the championship i think as as is actually quite mm. common in april the pitches for the first couple of rounds have been um pretty flat because of the fact there's been more time to prepare them they're all new aren't they they've and been fresh yeah and slightly push. soft so occasionally play a bit slow which isn't necessarily that um sort of helpful in terms of giving people an indicator as to whether a player is going to be able to step up to test cricket but yeah the pitch that um was produced at Taunton you know it, it was basically I think Overton said after the second day he said it felt like playing a completely different sport to the one he played in <laughs> the Caribbean where you know I can't remember how many wickets there would have been across the five days in Barbados but I'd say it was not 39 and two and a half <laughs> two and a half so um, yeah it, it's been a it, it's been a sort of slightly interesting start to the county season because of the fact that there's so much um, there's been so much talk I think almost more than uh, more than a standard Ashes defeat about the, the mm. county system's fitness for purpose. There's the, obviously this high performance review looming over the county game. Um, I think Key is sort of Key actually. I think earlier this year in one of his columns for the Evening Standard, kind of laid out uh, at the time quite a sort of back of the fag packet, um, uh, you know, blueprint for the English season, which started with a 50 over mm. comp in April. Then he had, I think, uh, two parallel top divisions of six and a bottom division of six for the championship. Some blast running alongside that, the 100 in peak summer and then the championship to end the season. So not too different to what we've got at the moment. Mm. Um, I've, I've, I'm pretty pro, to be honest, three divisions of six as an idea. I think it, it, I'm sure county members won't be very happy about that because it means fewer home games. But um, I, I think it's the one thing that keeps coming up whenever you speak to county cricketers at this time of year is they're sort of almost trepidation about the number of games that they're going to have to play over a certain number of weeks and I think if you can reduce that and um, get towards the Australian idea that every innings means something every uh, every match means something in a slightly slightly different way to what we have at the moment where people are talking about the county grind um, I think that will <laughs> hashtag yeah I think that will that will serve the England team better so um but yeah, it, it is such a strange start of the season. I was at, up at Trent Bridge for their press day the week before the season started and not for, obviously think of themselves uh, as the best team in Division 2. Um, feel like they should probably be in Division 1 because of the fact that they, I think they finished third in it last year. But you have this bizarre mm. stuff with this, the structure. Um, I don't need to get into the nitty gritty. Um, but they're, they're starting the season not knowing where they need to finish in order to mm. play in a top division next year because maybe if they, they obviously will try and win division two 
Um, but if if that then goes into three divisions of six, it might only be good enough to get them into the second of three divisions. Or um, you know, it's it's a very strange situation um, where um, there's a there's so much existential angst around the county game, even more so than normal, um, that it means we're in this strange sort of um, everyone feels like they're treading water a little bit in the opening weeks of the season. I think at least that's my that's the, mm. the vibe I've got from the couple of games I've been to. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I had I had the alternative um, take of county cricket in my first round because I went to went to Chelmsford for an absolute road, um, which uh, 500 plays 500 and the game was dead by the by the second afternoon. But the same principle applies to that game as as the as the one down, down in Taunton is that if if you don't have a concentration of quality within a particular game you're going to end up with a situation where you've got uh, not enough players are good enough to take 20 wickets on a decent test wicket on a decent pitch because you know the the the, the Chelmsford pitch i think if Simon Harmer had been playing on that pitch for instance obviously he was he was on duty mm. with South Africa if Simon Harmer had been playing on that pitch to back up the Essex's seam attack it might have been a 500 plays 350 plays you might just be able to sneak a sneak a victory out of it mm. after some hard graft, um, but you know because the the quality is spread too thin in the current system in in test in county cricket, it means that when you do end up with a pitch like Taunton, you end up with Craig Overton overproducing with 13 wickets in the match because people aren't used to facing difficult bowling at at extreme length. So um, I agree with Matt's point about the structure of county cricket. Um, in fact, I would go even further. Um, I've been scribbling on the back of a fag packet recently as well. I would actually go three top three top divisions of six, but I'd also bring in the minor counties, the national counties, and add, add five divisions of what thirty eight. I think I would come to. So, top ultimately, you you have got a situation thanks to the hundred, thanks to the hundred's existence. And it's the first time I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> uh, thanks to the hundreds' existence, the ECB has got a has got a got got itself a, a rewriting of the Articles of Association to create the hundred. Now, this sounds like a very boring technical point, but it's actually fundamental to the future of English cricket, because up until the hundreds' creation, the county the, the eighteen first class counties basically owned the English summer. Every single competition had to include. 18 first class counties at the exclusion of all others now we've got the situation where we've had the articles of association already rewritten and to do that you had to get the say so of 41 stakeholders in english cricket which includes the 20 minor counties includes the ecb includes the 18 first class counties and mcc as well so all these teams have all come together in a in a in a fundamental agreement saying you know what we accept that we need to change something admittedly they were all accepting with a gun to their heads in, in the case of the 100 but the point still stands they accepted it so now i would suggest and this is my my fag packet suggestion you have three top divisions of six one two three with the with starting out with the 18 first class counties then two bottom divisions of 10 with promotion relegation all the way through because the one thing that we've got at the moment and we found this with the the conference system last summer is that once you get to Division Three, final rounds of Division Three, when it's Leicestershire versus Derbyshire, and, and, and there's absolutely nothing to play for, those games are as dull as ditch water, and nobody's interested. But if suddenly the <laughs> trapdoors down below, and you've got Norfolk and Cumberland and Cornwall, and Cornwall <laughs> scrambling to get up through the trapdoor, suddenly you know Leicestershire, you've got to raise a bloody game. 
and I pick out Leicestershire unfairly because you know they are they are doing a little bit more than than they have done in in recent years to to build their side. But again, this this buys into the overall problem the English cricket has got with participation because at the moment you know, the, the, the 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 even the the name high performance review which Andrew Strauss is overseeing almost feels too narrow to me because if you if the only thing they're reviewing in English cricket is the high performance element you're ignoring the structural issues that have, mm. that have led to the Azim all, all the low issue. performance that we're all the low performance <laughs> exactly founded that. on <laughs> and the low performance extends all the way down to the grassroots extends down to the the former minor counties who are now called national counties partly as a consequence of the the bargaining they were able to do to get mm. the hundred into creation in fact I remember um, I think it was uh, Tom Harrison at the announcement of uh, Inspiring Generations, the, the great document that he, that he, that he blethers on about at the DCMS each time he gets put in the corner. At the, at the very launch of Inspiring Generations, I think he used the words, we have 41 delivery networks within English cricket that we want to use. I mean, could, I mean you can think of a less inspiring way to describe your, your, your county system. But ultimately, you do have in existence, and albeit the minor counties have been pushed to the margins for all these years, but you do have from Cornwall to Norfolk, up to Cumberland and everywhere in between, you've got basically a footprint covering the whole of English cricket. And if you can create a system that actually buys into, buys into kids in Norfolk and kids in Cumberland and kids in Lincolnshire that say, you know what, if I perform for this, this club, I could end up being in a system whereby I could be promoted all the way up to Division One. You're onto something because you know you got you got Kevin Peterson blethering on as well about saying you know the the problem with English cricket there are too many too many rubbish cricketers trying to earn a living. That's not the problem. The problem is the, there are too few pools of cricketers to choose from to earn that living, and therefore you know you're, you're ending mm. up with a, with a, with a limited pool of players who aren't good enough. But if you broaden the network, broaden the footprint, encourage these these teams to actually drill down and find local players and and give them a chance, get on board, go on. Start in Division Five and see whether you can you can you can rise to the top. Um, you're onto something because, again, if you if you were to go pure capitalist about the, the the current system, Essex, the best Red Bull team in the in the country. I mean, they're also the smallest ground in the country. They're also the, one of the newest teams. You know, they won their first title in '79, didn't they? And they've won about eight since. Um, they are they've overachieved in the last few years, but you know. If you if you had an arbitrary cut off in 1975, saying you know what, let's let's have our reform now, mm. Essex would have been binned long before they or, became or really in good. 2015, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you know, there, 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 there's this there's this twin twin issue that English cricket has got. Elitism on the one hand is good because you want elitism insofar as you want the best players playing the best players, and mm. you want to have a team that is capable of challenging. But elitism. As, a, as an overarching structure, an overarching strategy for the game is, is a route to rack and ruin. And frankly, that's why we're here already, because the game is too elite. It's not reaching deep enough into the system. And that's, that's my manifesto. Oh, oh, it's on back of a fag paper. Um, yeah, Posting it to, to yeah. ECB Towers yeah, yeah, uh, after Tuck this, in. after yeah, we finish recording on. here. All, all yours, Rob Key, make it happen. <laughs> That sort of there's been a football theme to to this pod. I mean, you're creating the the, the, the pyramid there, the league well, system. The, the, there's uh, nothing wrong with the league system. It's, it's the vultures <laughs> at the top of the league system pecking it off. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back to to Manchester United. Indeed. Um, talking of elite names, we've got this far. We haven't mentioned Ben Compton. Um, <laughs> 
the not the leading run scorer in the country. That's well, Sha- okay, that's well, Sean Massoud. But Ben um, Compton, fascinating, fascinating <laughs> example. He of, might actually be an example. Plays into your uh, he does, he does your discussion I mean, here. Uh, I mean, I, on the one hand, <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 in awe of what Ben Compton has has done to get his opportunity. He basically has has been uh, scrambling around in in club cricket for a decade. Um, I, I was down at down at Chelmsford during the first of his three hundreds, and um, I spent the spent all, obviously I know that he's Nick's cousin and Dennis's grandson, and that much was a given. But beyond that, it's absolutely nothing about Ben Compton anywhere on on the internet. It's like bloody hell, how can he be this this famous and this anonymous? And so I was borrowing down into Surrey Premier League and Middlesex Premier League and Nottinghamshire Premier League and finding, you know, he topped the averages for Richmond for four seasons in a row or something, and uh, you know. He's put in the hard yards, but he's also, you know, arguably, he's had he's had a chance to put in the hard yards as well because you know he he clearly has a, a degree of privilege that comes with being a being a Compton that um you know your average Joe who might have been scrambling around in in in, in the Kaidi Azam League say mm. might not have had the same opportunities to be picked up at the last ditch by a, a county team and given a long, an overdue opportunity and you've got to say he's he's seized it and fair play to him. But you know, if if the answer to English cricket is is a is an eighteen year old who eighteen year old Compton who grew up in South Africa and and is is now injected back into the system, it's not actually going to solve anything. It, it's a great story for him, and if he keeps on scoring runs, he's going to be very firmly in the mix, and that's wonderful. But once again, we're going back to the same old problems that England have got. It's like if you if you if you can't get your own system to breed the players you, you you end up you end up you know importing them uh, essentially <laughs> well yes uh, bringing them back in uh, from trips to Zimbabwe to uh, learn their game um, one or two other names I, I will just run through who have uh, sort of uh, um, little backstories and, and uh, achievements in the opening weeks James Bracey a uh, couple of hundreds uh, obviously was capped last summer um, and perhaps highlighted the gulf between the championship and uh, an international cricket although he was out of position and uh, uh, yes t- uh, a tough ass to come in against that New Zealand team um, Ollie Pope's made some runs Tom Haynes down in Division 2 um Matt Parkinson, Matt, uh, I'm sure we always keep an eye, uh, an eye on how's he, how he's going. You spoke to him at Lancashire, uh, Lancashire's press uh, yeah. today. Yeah, he was, he was very good. He came off his long run about the sort of lack of opportunities mm. he feels um, young English spinners have been given. And I think he's he's got a pretty good point. I think that the game at Kent, which he, um, he got through some 70-something overs, I think, across the game, um, pretty much back-to-back as well because of the fact that Kent followed on. Um, I think that was only his 33rd first class game I want to say of his career which is not a lot given he's 25 years old um, so I think he, he probably has a point there um, but yeah to be, to be honest you, mentioning various names there I, I have a feeling that England are going to pick quite a um, pe- people will be hoping that there's someone out there who is the great undiscovered talent who can be brought in under a new regime and new era and all this stuff who's going to revolutionise the test side but realistically so many players in county cricket if you look up and down scorecards in division one and and even division two across the past couple of weeks so many players have been tried at some point in the last five or six years that they are the best players in the country there aren't very many untapped gems who have been uh, you know cast aside prematurely and stuff like that I think there are clearly a few young players like Ollie Pope you mentioned James Bracey um, Dan Lawrence is the incumbent, I suppose, in the middle order, who will presumably get some chances at some point mm. in the next couple of years. But I, I, I think there's a there's a temptation to think that because there's a new regime in place, we're going to get a huge 
um, it, there's going to be a whole uh, overhaul in terms of personnel and we're going to get all these new guys coming in. Realistically, I think it's going to be a pretty familiar Alex uh, Lees and Zach Crawley. It is. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's even if it's slightly, even if someone like Vince, for example, is drafted back in because mm. a, a head coach comes in, you know, Gary Kirsten, for example, if he got the job, he's supposedly a big fan of James Vince and has said in the past, you know, I think this guy should be playing Test cricket for England. But even if that happens, I think it's going to be a lot of familiar names in the first Test squad, um, simply because of the fact that so I think you know, twenty five or something like that people played Test cricket for England last year, and then a, another handful was played in the years before then. And have been dropped so i think um really we're looking at uh, sort of names we're very familiar with who are the, the question is whether they're going into that first test with um firstly adequate preparation which you suggest they probably will be if they're coming off seven or eight or six or seven championship games um at the start of the season and then secondly whether or not um that that preparation has served them well and whether or not um they can do something they've done and not done in the past and Score, uh, score consistent runs at test level because you know that's that stat that um, I suppose talking about evaluating Root's captaincy, you can say uh, I suppose it's relatively damning on Root that there's no one who particularly came through and thrived under his five years in charge. I think the only guy that's averaging thirty with the bat is Rory Burns, who is averaging pretty much thirty dead. <laughs> yeah, um, and is out of the side. And with the ball, <laughs> pretty much everyone is either injured or out of favour or something along along those yeah. lines. You'd say someone like Ollie Robinson has done well, but has you know missed the whole of that West Indies series due to due to sort of persistent fitness issues and minor injuries and niggles mm. and that sort of thing, and hasn't started the season. So um, yeah, I think really we're going to be looking at familiar names. <laughs> um, we're looking at people like Pope and Burns and Sibley and whoever else um, Craig Overton with his Craig 13 Overton. wickets at Taunton <laughs> and, and working out um, how to how to evaluate their performances in county cricket and I think someone if, if there is a new selector brought in there'll be an element of rolling the dice and uh, hoping that it comes up with a couple of sixes but um, Jamie Overton I, I will say was very impressive at the Oval uh, last week very rapid and, uh, and uh, yeah a bit lethal on a, on a decent pitch Um we haven't, of course, seen any of Anderson Broad uh, because they have not been made available to play, uh, although that is going to change this week. Maybe not with Stuart Broad. The signs are that he um, is going to hold himself back for a bit bit longer, but um, James Anderson and Saki Bermud expected to play against Gloucestershire, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be interested to see what uh, <laughs> those fellows can do. Uh, could be good picks for the test summer, uh, Anderson and Broad particularly. Um, we won't go into into whether uh, Taunton's pitches are, uh, you know, should be attracting the attention of the uh, uh, pitch liaison officers. Um, although I think it's worth noting they have a, a suspended penalty, points penalty from 2019, still hanging over them there. So, anyway, Essex won that game, so everyone <laughs> move on. Um, and we could, we perhaps should touch briefly on the IPL, given it is the centre of all our worlds one way or another um, I mean Joss Butler is doing alright Liam Livingston maybe not so much Chris Jordan <laughs> yeah I mean Butler's been phenomenally good I think uh, it, it, there's there's obviously quite an interesting contrast between the, the existential angst of the test team uh, at home and then Butler going overseas and doing what he does best and piling on runs for Rajasthan I think he's might even threaten um, Virat's 973 runs, I think, in 2016, which is the IPL record, I think. But there's on course at the moment 
um, and has been in a pretty remarkable run of form. Um, and the temptation, of course, which is what led to his recall in 2018, is to think, well, he's scoring all these runs in the IPL. He can do it in a test side. And there's probably every chance that he plays in the first test of the summer thinking about it because Ben Folkes was pretty poor, to be honest, in the Caribbean. I think he didn't live up to his own standards with the gloves and averaged in the teens, I think, with the bat. So um, it's very much not nailed on the hill start. Um, but the flip side is, um, which I think is what I personally would do, and I think what the right answer probably is, is um, it shows that Butler is arguably the best T20 batter in the world at the moment. Um, and if if England let him thrive in that format for the next five years, he could well single-handedly win them a World Cup. I mean, he was the only batter to sort of consistently fire at the World Cup and the UAE at the end mm. of last year. and. Um, if he if he'd kicked on after a start in the semi final against New Zealand, he might well have won them that game and won them the whole tournament. So I think uh, I, personally, I, I would suggest that Butler's success for Rajasthan hints towards the fact that he should be uh, Owen Morgan's successor after this year's World Cup in Australia. And um, yeah, I, but, but, but if the England, question will keep being asked if he keeps scoring runs. If England because, uh, can manage it. Uh, correctly uh, it is it is know, fascinating that, though. I means mean, he's bound to get picked for the test team again <laughs> it, it is it is fascinating though. i mean I, I know there are other issues to talk about in the ipl but butler is such a such a hot topic it'd be remiss not to drill down further but just, just the, the the extraordinary difference between his white ball mindset both at the world world t20 then and now at the ipl and somehow in between that he had the most dismal miserable abject ashes i mean he, 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 the i still see the the thousand yard stare in his eyes at adelaide he was absolutely miles away and somehow he's parked that miserable red ball mindset tapped straight back into his white ball mindset and is carrying on being a world beater as if that never happened and that's incredible um it says a hell of a lot about his own mindset in one sense but also it says a hell of a lot about where test cricket is at the moment if england cannot get a player as good as Joss Butler to thrive in their test team, then, you know, again, I come back to what I've been saying all along, you can't blame the players necessarily for what's going on here. Um, you, If you cannot get Butler to be a, success, a successful test cricketer with the with the brain game brain that he's got, um, it's, it's test cricket or England's approach to it that is at fault. Um, so um, that's another aspect to weave into the research it's uh, England have got uh, you know they've got a whole cab of white ball cricketers coming through all these kids who got to the final of the under 19 world cup you look you look up and down that list uh, they every single one of them is basically an, an acolyte of Owen Morgan's white ball team they they play the same ramp shops they play with us play the same booming up, on the up cover drives that Johnny Bairstow has you know they they, they are they are clones of a successful England setup, and the fact that England setup is not a su- successful Reds ball setup is, is, you know, it's a testament to the decisions made uh, back in the day to to focus on the on the on the 2019 World Cup. But it does does go to show that England do have the resources to do cricket properly, and um, you know if they can find a way to marry up those those successes on the white ball front with the dismal failures in the Red Bull front, mm. uh, they've, they've, got, they've got something. Which is basically my way of saying that 2018 total cricket was the way forward and we get back to it. <laughs> but we'll come back to that in another pod, I dare say. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other episode, series, manifesto, another back of the fag packet one uh, for the future. I think that will do for today. There are still six weeks until England begin their summer commitments with a test series against New Zealand. Plenty of time for Key to get started on the resurrection 
We'll be watching closely for miracles, of course. Until the next time, my thanks to Miller and Matt, and to you all for tuning in. Please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod platform and stay up to date with all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com.